Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to talk to a group of students at Northwestern University about how to leverage their graduate education as part of a non-academic job search. And I asked the students to pre-submit questions, and what they sent over was so similar to what we see at Beyond the Professoriate for the programming events that we run. About one in every five questions I receive is some variation of, what can I do with my degree in, the, in my very specific subject matter expertise? What can I do with my PhD in chemistry? And then they'll tell me about polymers. Or what can I do with my degree in physics? And they'll go into detail about their dissertation. When PhDs call me for consultations, um, I'll often tell them, ask them, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself and your job search. And they'll spend, you know, sometimes three to five minutes just telling me about their research and their subject matter expertise. The reason why we do this is we, we assume that what matters most about our education is our expertise, that what we will leverage into our, our next career will somehow relate to the, our expertise and our scholarship. But it's the wrong question to ask because it traps you into a very narrow job search and it traps you into looking for jobs that might not actually even align with your interests or be the best fit for your skills. Now, I did this too. When I started my job search, I had just moved to Washington, D.C. And as I've said before, I was incredibly depressed. I had only wanted to be a faculty member and that had not worked out. The 2008 recession just collapsed the job market for history. And I had never really thought about what else I was going to do. I never asked myself the hard questions I'm going to ask you to ask yourself here in this podcast. Uh, so I did, this, I did the same thing. I showed up in Washington, D.C., and I focused on what can I do with my degree in history. And the answer was not much. I, I'm Canadian, so I was unable to apply for any federal government job. So all of the like national parks or archives or things like that were, were um, out of the question. And, and I didn't even really have the right credentials for that work anyways. I, I looked at historic houses and historic preservation, but I quickly learned that those organizations were, of course, nonprofits, and they were interested in hiring people who could help run the nonprofit. Could, they needed volunteer trainers, and they needed uh, coordinators, and they needed event planners, and they needed people who could fundraise. They almost seldom, they only ever seldom hired historians. So I wasn't going to get work doing that. And one internship that I did, I actually worked um, in researching a historic house. And like, it was okay, but I wasn't really excited about the work. I couldn't see myself, even if I could find a job doing historic preservation, I couldn't really see myself doing that work. Um, and so I, I went one step beyond what can I do with my degree in history? I thought, well, surely I'd be able to leverage my expertise in like gender and sexuality studies. So I began to kind of look at, you know, places like NARAL or Planned Parenthood. But again, I just, it wasn't the right fit. My subject matter expertise didn't align with the needs of the organization. They didn't need somebody who understood gender in a historical context. So I was just lost and I was even more demoralized. Um, and I understand why we do this. I understand through my own experience why 
We want to find a job that aligns with our subject matter expertise. And it's because we're so proud of our accomplishment. Like getting a PhD is really hard. And we make sacrifices in order to earn this degree. I was so incredibly proud of having earned my PhD at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Like when I got that offer to go to Carolina, I felt like I had won the lottery. Um, I was going to be somebody. I was going to go places. I was going to achieve things. And so not being able to directly leverage my education into my next career felt like a second failure. Like I'd not been able to become a history professor and now I couldn't even get a job as a historian doing other kinds of work. So one of the reasons why this is the wrong question to ask is that it can really constrict your job search to the point where the answer of what can I do with my degree in X is nothing. Like literally there's nothing you can do with your degree because no one will hire you for your subject matter expertise. And I know that sounds discouraging, Uh, And it's not meant to be. It's meant to show you that that's just the wrong question to ask. So what should you be asking instead? Well, as it turns out, I didn't, I like history. But the reason why I like history is not because it defines my passions and my interests, but because it allows me uh, a space where I can explore passions and interests. So what I mean by this is, If I step back and I think, okay, what is really interesting to me about history? Well, I love being able to understand how the world works. I like that systematic, high-level thinking. I really love broad narratives. But I also really like to think about how the small piece that I'm working on fits into this broader narrative. And that's something that I do all of the time in the strategic thinking and planning that I do as part of being, being a business analyst. One of the things I get to do in my role at Beyond Prof is really think about like, where are we going? What's our business going to achieve? Um, What's the the larger, you know, KPI or what's the larger goals and what are the specific KPIs and how does this all fit together? And so as it turns out, I have this interest in, you know, having a high level overview and strategic thinking and then being able to think about how these little pieces relate to this higher or broader purpose. And that's not specific to history. That's just one reason why I really like history. And I like the structure that it gives. I also really love thinking about narrative. I love thinking about how we tell stories to share and communicate meaning. And that's something that I get to do as part of marketing. It's one of the things I get to do as part of helping PhDs tell their story, whether it's helping people think about their career transition story or resumes or, or cover letters, I get to empower people to tell a story about themselves and their interests and their skills. And I get to think about what's compelling to employers about uh, you know, a candidate's story or how we move through the interview process. And so there's strategy and there's purpose, very similar to the kinds of stories that I was researching and understanding as part of of doing my historical research. I'm a cultural historian. So what I study was actually representations of sex in early American print culture. Um, So I was very interested in representations and stories and and how we create meaning. Another thing that I really love doing is knowledge transfer. So I used to say, like, I really loved teaching. And as it turns out, it's actually not the teaching that's really interesting to me. I'm really, what I love doing is being able to take the knowledge that I have learned and break it into pieces so that I can share that knowledge in a way that allows people to learn and incorporate that knowledge into their own lives. 
Now that's taken a long time for me to really figure out what my passions are and why history was such a good fit, but it wasn't the only fit for me. And if you asked five other historians what they loved about history or why they got into that discipline in the first place, you'd get five different answers. So the first question to ask is not what can I do with my degree, but why did I pursue this degree in, my, in the first place? What are my values? What are my motivators? What am I curious about? And then how does this space, this science, anthropology, linguistics, literature, allow me to explore and delve in to my interests? Why is it so satisfying for me to study this thing? And if you're like, actually, I hate my research, then that's also a great place to start to go back and say, why is this a wrong fit for me? Why am I not intellectually engaged in this project? What what am I actually curious about? And then how do I find a, a place or a job where I can have that similar career satisfaction? Because in all honesty, the work that I do right now at Beyond Prof is even more rewarding than the work I was doing as an adjunct and as a historian because I get to make that immediate impact, that real world impact that was missing uh, in my historical scholarship. So I love entrepreneurship and being doing marketing and being a business analyst even more than I loved being a historian, but that's the connection for me. So what's your what's that hook? What actually got you curious or interested in the subject matter in the first place? Start with that question because when you can see your interests independent of the space that you're currently working in, when you can uncouple yourself from academia, then suddenly you can begin to see a whole range of opportunities. And you can begin to see how somebody like you might have something in common with project managers or data scientists or R&D or medical science liaisons or whatever it is that, you're, that you end up doing. You'll actually have a lot in common with those people because they'll share similar motivations and interests to you. So that's the first question. Why did I get myself into this mess in the first place? No, I'm just kidding. Why did I start studying this, this subject matter? Why did I pursue this degree in the first place? The second question that you want to ask yourself is, what do I actually value about the work that I'm doing now? So I gave you the example of, um, you know, I used to say I really loved teaching, but when through the last couple of years, as I've had the opportunity to uncouple teaching, so I don't just teach anymore. There, I've taken the different aspects of teaching and I've been able to actually break it up into different facets of the work that I do. We design and develop courses. We've designed and developed an e-learning platform. We create workbooks and worksheets and exercises. We, I create slide decks and presentations and I deliver programming and lectures. So I've been able to take all of these different pieces and kind of break them up into different projects. And so they're, not, no, they're no longer all lumped together for me. Um, And so what I was able to learn is that I actually am not that curious about instructional design. Um, I'm really interested in like website layout and how we get people to move through through platforms because I like that strategic thinking. Again, I like that high level overview and then thinking about how these pieces fit together. Um, And I like that part of like education. I like to think about, you know, how do I take knowledge and break it down? But what I really love is not curriculum design and development. It's knowledge transfer. And that was really... Uh, that was a huge revelation for me because it allowed me to hire people on my team who actually are really good at curriculum design and development. They can help me take my knowledge and the way in which I'm trying to uh, break it down and communicate it to people and help me create the right 
resources, the right you know, questions and exercises and learning outcomes, and they can help guide me in that process because that's actually what they're interested in and what they excel at. So if you're saying like, well, what I love is my teaching, well, it, what is it? Is it working with 18 to 24-year-olds? Is it knowledge transfer? Is it curriculum design and development? Is it public speaking? Is it hearing the sound of your own voice? Like, What actually is it about teaching that you really love? This is why I'm doing a podcast, because I love knowledge transfer. If you say you love research, what is it about your research that you love? Is it the process of discovery? Is it applying solutions to solve problems? Maybe you're lucky to be one of the people in STEM who actually gets to work with others. Is it the collaboration process? I know for a lot of PhDs in the humanities and social sciences, one of the reasons why we leave academia is because we'd rather work with other people to collectively solve problems. So again, think about it. Independent of the topic that you're studying, what is it that you're actually really motivated to do? So again, I actually hated the archives, which should have been a really, you know, first clue that I was not going to be very good as an academic historian. Um, Because what I was really interested in was in like the stories. I just wanted to like read newspapers and I wanted to just look at these patterns. I didn't want to be doing the traditional kind of archival research that historians do. Um, And so I get to do a lot more of the work that I love doing or the kinds of work that I find rewarding now in my non-academic job than I ever would have if I had to have been a successful historian. So if you actually love the, the technical work, if you love the process of discovery, if you love being able to put pieces together into a coherent narrative, all of those things are wonderful. What is the thing that you love about your research or the three things that you love about research? So question number one, as I already said, is, you know, why did you begin your degree in the first place? Why did you start your degree? And question number two is, what's actually energizing you about the work that you're doing now? A third question that can help you identify new spaces where you can have similar career satisfaction is if you begin to identify what you actually value in your work. So now that's different from like what energizes you or motivates you. The values could be things like, I really value creativity and innovation. That's a value that I have. I really value communication or I really value competition. I really thrive in 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 an environment where I'm competing against other people. I really value that. Um, Or maybe it's something like, I actually just really value um, being able to overcome technical problems and challenges. That's a value that I have. Or I really value academic achievement. It really matters to me that I have these achievements that are recognized by academia. Uh, Maybe you value flexibility or curiosity or, um, or maybe equality and diversity. So thinking about your values can help ground your career transition because it gives you a, a foundation, a metric by which you can evaluate opportunities, jobs, and, and organizations where you might want to, to work. So as I've said before, you know, don't limit your job search to for-profit or non-profit companies. Those are just tax statuses. Really understand your values so that when you're networking and talking to people, You can say, you know, I'm not really sure on what I'd like to do next. I'm just in the discovery stage. But what I really value in my work is the opportunity to explore new ideas or I love um, problem solving. I'm really energized by my ability to solve problems and I have this really great skill set that I can bring to, to help organizations solve problems. Or you can say, you know, what really matters to me, what I want my legacy to be 
is is making the world a more diverse place, a place that's stronger by diversity. And I want to work towards social justice and and I want to find an organization where I can um, make the world a more equitable place. And that might be, you know, a financial company that's working on providing uh, startup loans to women-owned minority businesses. Maybe you're going to work with, a, you know, a venture capitalist firm that's involved in startups. Like that can actually help you achieve that goal. It doesn't have to just be a nonprofit. Or maybe um, if what you really value is is aesthetics and beauty, perhaps you could work as a UX researcher or uh, in web design and development to help make the world uh, a more uh, beautiful place, making websites more, more beautiful, easier to navigate, better for the user, better for user experience. So there's lots of different places where you could take those values and find new and creative spaces. So don't limit what you do next to your subject matter expertise. You don't have to prove that your education directly relates to the job you have next. I know it's really tempting. And when you look at those placement studies or maybe what your graduate program celebrates, they're probably celebrating people that are like, they were a scientist and now they're a scientist. And they maybe forget about the scientist who's now a project manager um, at a um, at an insurance company, or they celebrate the anthropologist, but they don't celebrate the person who's a UX researcher, or, you know, they celebrate the person who's a historical consultant, but they don't celebrate the entrepreneur. Um, and so we, again, because we're coming out of academia and academic departments want to prove the value of their education, they want to draw direct connections between what you studied and what you're doing next. But remember, the people that are creating that criteria are people who are within higher education. And what they value is that subject matter expertise. They're living in a whole world, existing in an entire world, higher ed, that is structured around departments that are defined by subject matter. And so that's their worldview and that's what they value. But when you step outside of academia and you look at what jobs people are doing, they're not defined by, oh, that's a social scientist or a humanities person or even STEM. It's like, well, that's a data scientist. And a data scientist ha- has certain technical knowledge and skills and abilities to do things. Um, you know, we just did a career panel the other day where we had a classicist who'd become a UX researcher, a humanities PhD who'd gone back to do um, the data science boot camp and is now a data scientist. Um, and then we had a sociologist who's now working in social science research um, within a, a, a really cool organization. So what you study doesn't define what you do next. And that's the same for STEM, right? We have applied math mathematicians who are engineers, and we have people who are chemists who are data scientists. Uh, we have actually a lot of ecologists I know go into data science, but they also move into UX research and project management. Um, that's a really great career field. Or uh, sales, a lot of PhDs will end up moving into sales. Instructional design, like there's so many really cool jobs out there that have nothing to do with what you studied, but will provide you with similar career satisfaction. The last thing that I want to say before I let you go at the, uh, at, this, at the end of this podcast here is that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. Um, and you probably won't. So if you're trying to make a career transition and you're like, I just don't know, like, I think maybe this, but I'm unsure, just try it. 
Because the awesome thing about non-academic careers is that they're not linear. You know, you can actually bounce around. Uh, you can try UX research and then decide you actually want to move more into like the marketing side, or you maybe you want to move more into instructional design or whatever. You're actually not limited because it's the skills that people are hiring you for. Um, and your quest is to find a place where you can leverage your skills, where, where, where you will have career satisfaction. This means that you can try a couple of different things in your non-academic career before really settling on, on the career that you're going to build for yourself after your degree or postdoc or just when you leave higher ed altogether. So you don't have to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. You just have to know what you want to try next and evaluate those opportunities based on your motivators and your values and your interests. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.